I don't know about some of you here. As we get a little bit older, it seems like we spend a little bit more time uh, reminiscing and uh, uh, reminding, reflecting on God's goodness and grace in our lives. And it's just a real privilege for Don and I to be here today and uh, and humbled to actually have this opportunity to share God's word uh, during this particular uh, Sunday school hour this morning. So great to be with you. I'd like to read a letter. This is a letter that uh, actually uh, I sent from Don and I this week on behalf of the Francines with uh, this special occasion in mind. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and uh, there's an outline, I believe, in the bulletin today. I think that's where it is, so if you want to take some notes this morning, I'm a note taker. We'll go ahead and take some notes in a little bit, but let me read uh, uh, this from, uh, from Don and me to, to Bob and Pat. It says, what a blessing it has been for me to co-labor with you for all of these years. I remember that day in my office at our 47th Street location at Tri-City in the spring of 1981 when you shared with me how the Lord was directing you from secular work as an engineer to full-time Christian ministry. We talked about the sixth grade teaching position at Tri-City North Christian School. Pretty prestigious position, by the way. And from the fall of 1981 until March 220, we have co-labored together in ministry. With your going from teacher to principal, that didn't last too long as teacher. He was principal, I think, by the next year. Then to administrator, to interim pastor, and now pastor for uh, these many years. And of course, along the way came leadership roles together in MACS, Missouri Association of Christian Schools, MAACS, as Brian mentioned, the Mid-America Association of Christian Schools, AACS, the American Association of Christian Schools, student leadership conferences, because they've been there from the very beginning. In fact, first time I met the Tozers, you were teaching here, I believe, for a year, and uh, you were at a leadership conference. That was the first time that, that I met them, and I thought, wow. Well, we'd like to have them be here a little bit longer than this year. And you have been. You've been with them for some time now. And urban life ministry, and the list goes on and on. What a blessing you, Pat, and your family have been to me, my wife, and our family. Tri-City and so many other ministries over these years. As I think of Bob and Pat Francine, many qualities come to mind. But a passage that reflects your hearts in years of service that first comes is Philippians 2, 19 through 22. Paul says to Timothy, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. These three characteristics are given here concerning Timothy. And I have seen these evidenced in your lives over the years. Submission. You and Pat have always been loyal submissive servants. Sincerity, you and Pat have always naturally cared for others in a world of putting self first. Service, you and Pat have served God and others continually 
and selflessly. Bob, thank you for your friendship and leadership as we have co-labored together in ministry. You and Pat have always modeled true biblical servant leadership over these many years to your church, your school family, and have been a blessing and friend to so many other ministries over these years. May the Lord continue to bless you in the days ahead. Thank you for being willing to continue to help ministries through Max. They're already going to go visit some schools in Iowa here in a couple of weeks. And uh, pretty excited. We've been wanting somebody to do that for some time now. And here they are already volunteering to, to do that. And in other ways, as health and time permits, you have been and continue to be a real encouragement and blessing to so many. We are truly thankful for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I have not seen nor heard, neither have entered the, uh, the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. And that comes to mind for their ministry over the years. Their love for God and how that's been spread to so many others through the church and the ministry here and so many others. So with that in mind, uh, something that came to mind I thought, you know, would be a good lesson for all of us. And it's uh, really looking at someone who is a champion for God, characteristics of God's champion. So let's turn to a very familiar passage of scripture. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, let's see, I think we've got the PowerPoint on. Here we go. The biblical leader in his fight, it says, when worldviews collide, David, who was God's champion. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want to read, first of all, the first four verses because it sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. We're very familiar. David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but I think there's five characteristics that are given that we might even be surprised some of those foundational characteristics that David had that led him to become a champion for God in the slaying of Goliath. Let's look, starting in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Choco, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Elphistamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistine named Goliath, of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Let's stop there for just a moment. What you see here, and if you have the outline, you can take a few notes there, but you see what I'm going to call four different groups of people that are listed here in these four verses. First of all, you're going to have the Philistines. We would consider them a picture of the world. Uh, if we really want to get theological, they were the bad guys, okay? The Philistines. Didn't have uh, a heart for God, totally against God, against the Christians. And then you have the second group. There's always God's people. And they're there too. Did you notice what it said in verse number three? That the Philistines were on a mountain on one side, Israel on the mountain on the other side, and there was a big gulf between them. Big distinction between the two. God's side and the enemy's side. But then there's two individuals 
call them a group here, but first of all, guess what? The, the world always has its champions, don't they? Think about somebody who would be a champion for the world. Normally very uh, outspoken, very uh, vocal, uh, someone who is uh, totally uh, a scorner, against God, against anything uh, about God, against the people of God, that was Goliath. He was a champion for the world. But guess what? The great thing about chapter 17, God has his people, but there was a need for a champion. There was a need for somebody to stand when God's people weren't standing because the champion of the world was really kind of taken over. Read some other verses if you'll go down. Let's look at verse number 10 about Goliath. So 17.10, it says this. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that he may fight. We may fight together. So here's Goliath, champion for the world. And he's just defying God and the army of God day after day after day. Now, but let's look about David, because what do we see starting in verse number 12? It says, now David was the son of the Ethrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Next was Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. I want us to look at five characteristics of David that I believe we could call him a champion for God. Now, Scripture doesn't say he's a champion, but what he did shows that he was. It actually called Goliath a champion for the world. But I want us to look at these. What do you normally think of? When you think of 1 Samuel 17, you hear the story of David and Goliath. Some of you, I didn't really grow up in Sunday school where I went to church and have Sunday school when I was growing up. So I didn't see the flannel graphs and all those things. But some of you saw that of David and Goliath as you were growing up. But we know the story. And what do you normally think of? Story of David and Goliath. You think of victory, don't you? Victory for God. Victory for God's people. You think of courage. Here was this courageous warrior, this young man, who was willing to stand for right and stand for God. And you, you, think, of, you think of that. That's what we normally think of when we first see 1 Samuel 17 coming up in Scripture. But you know there's some characteristics even before then that I think are very important, that if we are going to be the man, the lady, the teen, the child that God wants us to be, you know what, we need to look into these characteristics. And I thought that they might be good uh, for us to reflect on today. And by the way, the reason that I thought of this passage, because I think we're reflecting, and I know they wouldn't want to call this, but uh, a couple of people that have been faithful, Champions for God, for your church, for ministry, to so many others over the years. So we've learned from them, 
But we can see these characteristics reflected back here in 1 Samuel 17. Let's real quickly look at them this morning. First of all, let's go ahead and uh, see what is characteristic number one. Well, he was content. Now, if I would have gone around here this morning and probably asked you, okay, what are some characteristics about David? I would be surprised if somebody would come up with this one as the initial one. To be quite honest, I was surprised that I came up with that. But it was after, and I've seen this for some time now, but after reading the story, hearing messages on David many, many times over the years, a few years back, I thought, now, wait a minute. There's a pattern here. And what was that pattern? And I believe the pattern was contentment. Let's look, because we have to go back to chapter 16 to understand where the contentment comes in. If you go back to chapter 16 and look at verse 12 and 13, what does it say? It talks about when Samuel was sent from God to find a king. Saul wasn't going to be king anymore. And David told Saul that. He had disobeyed him, and he was out to find a king. And Samuel was sent to Jesse, who had eight sons. And so what, starts, what happens is Jesse starts parading his sons one by one, oldest to youngest. And seven of them had already come. That's what it gives us in chapter 16, early part of the chapter. And after seven of them, and Samuel says, no, he's not the one. No, he's not the one. No, he's not the one. And then finally he says, do you have any other sons? And it's almost like an afterthought. I probably wasn't, but it almost sounds like it in Scripture. Oh, David, he's out with the sheep. Bring him in. And this is where we get to verse number 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, anointed him in the midst of the brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, chapter 16, what just happened? David's anointed king. Chapter 17, what do we see in verse number 15? And David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of think if I was anointed king in chapter 16, I don't know if I'd be wanting to be with the stinking sheep in chapter 17. But that's where he was. Now, why is that? Because he was content. What does it mean to be content? Well, if you Google content... It actually means that it's God's provided everything that I need for my present happiness and to realize that. And you know, it's pretty easy to be content when everything's going our way, isn't it? And yet things don't always go our way. But here was David. I personally believe because right now, what he was at this stage of his life, he was two things. Well, he was three. He was the son of Jesse. And secondly, he was an armor bearer for Saul. And thirdly, he's shepherd. Actually, shepherd first and then armor bearer. And so he's back 
home under the authority of his father doing what was his responsibility, keeping the sheep. His three older brothers are in this battle with the Philistines. The three oldest ones, it said, we just read that, were already in the battle. But he's back. I personally believe that he would have liked to have been in the battle. He was an armor bearer. He'd like to have been there helping the cause against the enemy for his God. But here he is doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that brings us to the second point. Because what happens next? Not only was he content, but he was committed to his task. Because it was while he was keeping the sheep for his father. What happens? Let's begin reading and see, starting in verse number 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of the parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten loaves into the captain uh, of the thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took and went, and Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle, and Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army, and David left his carriage in the hands of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. And look at verse 23, very key. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the enemy, or all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Now, it was while he was performing the servant task of bringing lunch, so to speak, to his brothers and those in battle, that he sees a situation. He was committed to his task. He's with the sheep for his father. His father asks him to take this food down to the battle. He makes sure the sheep are tended to. He takes that to them. And it's when he gets there that he sees a situation that has a great need. No one in the army is standing. They're all very fearful and rightfully so against this champion of the world, Goliath. And he sees this, but somebody needs to stand. And so he was faithful to his task. He was doing all that he was doing. Uh, you know, I would call it his priorities as he was involved in serving as God serving the authorities in his life. He was really seeking to be the uh, man of God that he, that he was, really seeking to follow his God, glorify his God, but he's performing these tasks, and while he's doing that, a need comes up, and a new mission springs up, because no one was meeting that need. And so as a result, guess what? The third characteristic comes in. But before we even get to that, let me just say that. Let me just say this. As we look at these two characteristics, these are the ones that I wouldn't have really considered until a few years ago about foundational characteristics of David. Content. 
realizing that God had provided everything that he needed for his present happiness, under the authorities in his life, doing what he's supposed to be doing with the right attitude. Maybe he even had bigger plans, better plans, but he was willing to be there, serving as he could, serving as God, serving his family, faithful to his tasks. And then the situation arose. Now, let's go back to the letter that I just read and just spend a little bit of time because as I look at these characteristics, I think of that day back in my office, 1981, at Tri-City on 47th Street, when an engineer came in, had a great job, things going well, serving the Lord in his church, but he says, I want, God just really seems to be putting on our hearts to be in ministry. But he was content. Have anything? Well, got a sixth grade job at, that, at this little school that we just started. Okay. Tell me about it. He didn't say, uh, well, I know God's calling me in the ministry, but uh, uh, here's what I would need for pay in order to meet my family's needs. No, that was never mentioned. And it's probably a good thing because it wouldn't have been good. Remember a few years ago when the Lord called my wife and I to, to Northland, we were administration up there for a while, and I didn't know what I was going to make, but all I knew when I talked to Sam Horn, he said, it's not good, brother, it's not good. That's all I knew. It wasn't going to be good. And, uh, but when God calls in something, so it wasn't a matter of pay. He didn't say, now, who's going to run that school? You know, I could probably do that. No, he just, yeah, I got a sixth-grade job open, a few students in there. I'm not sure how many. We're still trying to round up some. Uh, no, we could do that. And he was faithful to that task. Content. See, that's where it all begins. And so often in our lives, as maybe we feel God is directing us in something or wants us to be doing something, but yet we figure it out in our mind, it needs to be this way. What's the pay? You know, what kind of a position? Do you have a position that I could run that school or, or something? Because You know, no, just a... One of the faculty of this little school we're starting out there, who's running it, oh, a retired school teacher from over here that comes over there a couple of days and checks with you. And that was the meager beginning. But then the Lord continues on. And so this whole matter of contentment, and the reason I spend a little bit of time on that, because I find in our society today, in fact, I've been surveying teenagers for the last 25 years, to ask them, what, what are the blessings of being a Christian teenager? You do these at conferences and so forth. And, uh, you know, but what are some of the problems that you face as you're a Christian teenager? And it's interesting because I have this top ten. But there's one that didn't used to be. By the way, they say their number one problem that they face is disrespect to authority. That they're not as respectful to authority as they should be. That's what Christian teens say. These are in conferences around the country. Now, why would they say that? Because we live in a country, we live in a society that's very, you know, pretty rights-oriented. You know, and, and we're not really uh, focused on authority and what God says about honoring our authorities and so forth. But <clears throat> this matter of content, discontent, I find that it's kind of moved up the charts. Maybe a few years ago it had been maybe number 20 on the list. Now it's like number four. 
as one girl put it uh, uh, at camp uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I want to serve God, but if I don't get my way, I just, I get upset and I take it out on people and I'm a terrible example to my younger sisters at home if I don't get my way and I need to be more content. And that's a battle that we face because where we live, but you know, God tells us that having food and raiment, be content. And on and on we could go if we had time. Now, let's go on to the next one. Faithful to our task. He was committed to his task. And of course, Bob and Pat have been a team faithful to the task over the years. And God continued to move them. We need to move pretty quickly here. But let me give you the third one here. Not only was he faithful to his task, but he was faithful to his God. Because that's what happens in verses 23 to 27. Let's go ahead and, uh, and read those. So starting in verse number 23, it says, And he talked with them, and behold, there came up the champion. We read that already, go to 24. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely he defy Israel, he has he come up? And it shall be the man that killeth him, the king, and rich him with his riches, will give him his daughter, and take his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men and stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the approach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, in fact, I think I'll stop there for just a moment. See, what we find here, he was committed to his God. While he was submitting to his authority, following through with that responsibility that he had, he saw a need and he was willing to stand. And he becomes even vocal to the others, encouraging them, wait a minute, who is this? Goliath. This enemy who defies the army of the living God. And you know, there's so many scriptures that we could look here. And by the way, even on that committed to his task, the one that I read in the letter here, Colossians 3, you have it in your outline there. Great scriptures because we see that submission, sincerity, and service. That's what David was involved in. And by the way, that's what the Francines have been involved in in all these years I've uh, mentioned uh, in the letter there. But what do we see here? We see him continue to be committed. See, when they were on the hillside, the Philistines on one side and the nation of Israel on the other side, they were together. They were committed. But they didn't continue when the giants, when the champion for the world was being very vocal about defying the armies of the living God. But David was willing to do that. He was willing to stand by his God. Why was he willing to do that? Well, because he had seen some God-saving situations in his past. He had seen God work in God-saving situations. We don't have the time to actually look at it in the scripture here, but if you'd go to the verses in 34 through 36 in the same chapter about uh, killing a lion and killing a bear as he was tending the sheep and so forth, and you can see all those things that were going on there. But I do want to look at a couple of scriptures because I believe they really focus in on how we can be committed to our God. Turn to Proverbs, if you would. Flip forward to the book of Proverbs. 
And I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 4. We could look at so many scriptures in Proverbs. Such a fantastic book. But starting in verse number 5, it's in your notes there as far as the verses. or They're not there, but the references. It says, get wisdom, Proverbs 4, 5. Get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of thy mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she will promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thy hand, uh, head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. While you go to chapter 9, the reference is there. It says what? That uh, if we're going to be a person we have, that's a champion, we need to fear the Lord. Along with wisdom. Looking at life and responding the way that God would have us to respond. To have that reverence as well as trust in our God. And here was the army of Israel. And they were wanting to follow their God. But you know, they didn't really have a real trust in their God in this situation. Because it wasn't their battle, it was God's battle. And see, David understood that. And he had this commitment to his God If we might call it a biblical worldview, he viewed the world from what the Bible says about God and his power. And he will be with us in the different situations. And if God wanted them to have the victory, they would have the victory, even with this champion of the world against them. So we could spend a lot of time looking at that. But wow, what a challenge here. Now, guess what? When you stand for God, when you have a heart for God, when you're committed to your God, you know what? You're going to be misunderstood. And look at verse number 28. I started to read it before. But it says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke unto the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why comest thou down hither? And with whom dost thou leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that they mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And that's the key to the whole text here. There was a cause. There was something at stake. God, the name of God, and actually the power of God. And David understood that. He had seen it before. God had worked in his life. God had shown him through faith in him in situations. And as a result, he continued to be content and committed to his task. That continuation is so important. That's when the commitment to our God really comes out. And there'll be times, if we do that, that we're misunderstood by other people because they really don't understand. All right, now we move to uh, number four. He was courageous. That's where we normally think of. I think these first, well, at least the first two characteristics aren't the ones that we normally think about We do think about God and how David understood that God would be his power in this situation, in this battle, and then the courage that came, the strength, the courage in God. I think of Joshua chapter 1. In fact, let's turn there real quickly. Flip back to the book of Joshua chapter 1, and we'll wrap this up real quickly here. Joshua chapter 1, look at verses 7 through 9. 
This was told to Joshua, one of my heroes in the Old Testament, as well as David. But it says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, thy servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make a way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Wow. Stood for God, stood with God, that's what we say in David. Let me just share a little uh, blessing, encouragement to the Francines over the years. Because they've stood for God. They continued. Oh, times probably weren't always the best. There were high times, personally, church-wise, ministry situations. Then there were low times. But always continuing to be faithful. That's why I believe that they really have had these characteristics in their life. The David that made him the champion that he was. I just think of, you know, I think of personal situations. Not easy to lose your house in a tornado. Not easy to have some health issues along the way. And what's God's will? But I remember him visiting in their home after Bob's stroke. And boy, just focused on, well, see what the Lord has. They were in his hands. What a blessing. To just continuing on. Through the good times, there's been many, but through the difficult issues as well. They came up personally as well as in ministry and church and on and on the list goes. And so I think that is such a blessing. And then we get to number five. We won't take the time to uh, read all of that about the battle. We know what happens. We know that the good guys won. The bad guys didn't win. We see that. But start. look at verse 51 and 52. I love this. And I'll close with this real quickly. Therefore David ran, verse 51 of chapter 17, and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of a sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Look at verse 52. I think this is my favorite verse. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines at the coming to the valley and to the, the, the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shechem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. Now, what happened? They fled and what did the Israel, the army of Israel do? They started chasing after him. I mean, it was contagious. That's number five. It's contagious. You know what? As we stand for God, it so encourages others to see what God does. And that's what took place here. God received the glory. God was the one in charge of the victory here. And David knew it. And others were reminded of it. And as a result, they got strength and courage and power once there was somebody who was willing to stand. And you know what? I'd have to say this, that to me over the years, Bob, you know this. One of my chief 
not only a, one of my best friends in ministry, but one of my chief counselors. Uh, so many times, trying to make a decision, situation coming up, uh, let me get some input from Bob, from Pastor Francine, and call him. And the reason that I would always call, he would be one of the first, if not the first, was the fact that, first of all, he'd always come from a biblical perspective on what should be done. He'd always be focused on how can we love others through this situation? How can we think of others and care for others through this situation? And as a result, it was contagious to others. And I'm not saying he was the only one in the church doing this. But whenever people would ask me over the years, many, many times, about Eagle Heights Baptist Church, or did I know Eagle Heights Baptist Church, and I'd always use a couple of characteristics. A church that had a love for God and a love for people and had a real heart for ministry and for others. And that's what's always characterized this church. And it was, first of all, because of the leadership of this church over the years. And then secondly, on through the people. And others would be wanting to be a part of that too over the years. And so... What a blessing it is to see that. Let me just wrap up by saying this. By the way, down at the bottom, you can fill in these blanks if you're filling them in, but uh, application. I always like to have an application. What can we take away? Number one, hey, am I a champion? See, first of all, are you content? Are we really content? Something to consider this week. Am I committed to the task that God has put before me? Am I continuing even when things don't go my way, it's not easy to do, but do I continue to follow my God and follow the path that he has for us? I put several verses down here that could be a help and encouragement to you. And then, of course, the courage there. Am I courageous? Oh, it sounds pretty strong to be courageous, but it's just following these guidelines that David had in his life. Committed to his task, committed to his God. He was content where he was. And then, uh, as a result, who am I influencing? Because that's what the contagious is. Because as a result, we influence others. And I put some scriptures down there. One of them was Mark 10. You want to be great? Be a humble servant who sacrifices himself for the needs of others. Philippians 2, have the mind of Christ. On and on it goes. In closing, let me just say this, that uh, two books that I had the privilege, two small little books, or follow-up books that we use at student leadership conferences, but I also use them at churches. Uh, 2018, I wrote a book called Focusing on Winning in Life. And it's five passages of scripture, just five chapters long, having to do with let your purpose prioritize your life. And uh, uh, so I brought some of these today. And then in 2019, I wrote a book, Let Your Light Shine. We just gave some of these out at the educators conference, every teacher that was here, every student that was at a conference this year. I think we had over 5,000 of these that have given out. Let your light shine. It's five passages having to do with the life principle, be different on purpose. Different means distinct, unlike most others. Why? Because of our purpose in life, to glorify God, grow in Christ-likeness. Back on the table, there's uh, copies of both of them. And so here's what... Uh, like to do today for this special occasion, SLC, our student leadership ministry, 
has a copy, one copy, you could take either one. This was the first one, Focus on Winning in Life, and talks about meditating on these passages having to do with let your purpose prioritize your life. You could either have a copy of this, one for family, or let your light shine. So either one of those, I think we have enough for uh, one per family if we do that today. And we'd like to have that as a, just a little little gift to say thank you for being a part of this very special day for the Francines and Eagle Heights Baptist Church. Great being here. Let's have a word of prayer.